0: Amen, amen. Isn't it good to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior through familiar songs that we sing this time every year? And It's so good to be with you, Eastview family, all of us here in this place on the normal campus and wherever you're watching us, uh, really from all around the world. I I know you guys hear me say that, and you think, oh, he's just exaggerating, but our IT team let me know that this year, 43 different countries have watched us online. So welcome, we're glad that you're with us. Several states, and uh, maybe some people just wanted to stay in their pajamas today. Come on over next time. All right, Rob and Catherine from Texas, God bless you. Mike and Becky in North Carolina. Linda and Crystal Lake, and of course, my dear wife, Sarah, who's got everything that everybody else has, uh, and she's under the weather today. So God bless you, sweetheart. Love you. Uh, I want to give a special uh, shout out to the Hersher Congregation and the Shanoa Congregation and everybody at the Bloomington Campus. Love you guys. And uh, finally, um, we have a member, uh, Vicki Tanner. Vicki, I know you and your family are facing your mortality right now, and you're watching here today. We love you. And really, this sermon is for you and for all of us here together today. Um, uh, it is Christmas season, so there's a few quick reminders. We've brought coats, and we've brought toys, and we brought toiletries for people in need, and now we have this other special offering that's coming up. Can I just encourage you? Would you just take this one little simple step? Would you ask God to give you a miracle, to give you money that you don't have, and that you'll give it to Eastview Christian Church for our expanding ministry offering. We had a lady this week that sent me an email. It was so awesome. She she's been praying for God to give her a miraculous refund, and she got one this week for a dollar and one cent. And she felt very small and insignificant with that. But I said, no, no, no. That's that's God's way of teaching you to pray more and more. God's already given us one dollar. We only have nine hundred ninety nine thousand. 999 to go. I can't do math in my head. What's a million minus one? Anyway, and uh, here's another thing that I would like to encourage you guys to do. Would you encourage your friends to come with us on the Christmas Eve services? This is a a faith step. It's this simple. Will you come with me to church? And a lot of people say yes during this time of year. So I hope you got these people. Remember the people you're praying for? that We've been praying for Love McLean County. Now's the time to invite them. And, uh, and take a little risk and ask them to church. Well, it, you can imagine the tension, that famous Bible story, we tell it a, a lot during this time of year. It took place in Jerusalem, and, and some wise men from r- really Persia, the east, uh, they came to Jerusalem, and they find themselves in the middle of the palace and saying to the king, uh, a star guided us here, because a star has risen that says, uh, the king of the Jews has been born. You guys familiar with this story, right? And what's really in, inter, interesting about this story? A little background might help for us to understand how intense this is that first Christmas season. Because the king is Herod, and there's a lot of Herods in the Bible. There are actually four different ones mentioned in uh, the, the Gospels and Book of Acts. But this is Herod the Great. He's great. The reason he's great is because he's built a bunch of stuff. He's built a bunch of forts and he's built a bunch of of cities and all in the honor of Caesar Augustus. But he's a little paranoid and he's afraid that somebody's going to take his power away. In fact, there's a famous quote that's historical that comes from Caesar Augustus about Herod. He, He says this. This is Caesar Augustus. I'd rather be Herod's pig than one of his family members. Now, that's really funny if you consider what Jewish people think about pork, But why did he say that? Because Herod had killed two of his sons, at least two of his sons, because he felt threatened by them taking his throne. So you can imagine the tension when some wise guys from the east show up and saying, where's the king of the Jews? King Herod is going, I'm the king of the Jews. This is my throne and this is my place. Now as my uh, tour guide Gotti sometimes uh, says in the Holy Land, he said, uh, Herod was Jew-ish, both by blood And by practice, he knew enough about Jewish tradition and Jewish religion to help build the tabernacle, the the temple again, but he didn't really, he wasn't really sure about all the facts. And so he calls in his advisors, he calls in the wise men of his court, and he says, okay, these guys come from the east, they say that Christ has been born, where? Is there a scripture that points to that? And this is an easy question. This is Bible 101 for these guys in the first century. They say, "Uh, of course, Herod. It happened, uh, Micah the prophet said that he was gonna be born in Bethlehem, this little town of Bethlehem. Over 700 years before this meeting with the wise men and King Herod, Micah had said the Christ was going to be born in Bethlehem. This insignificant place is going to be the big place that's the birthplace of the Savior of the world. So let's turn to Micah. Let's rewind from the time of Christ 700 years to this mysterious prophecy. Remember we're in this series called Christmas Mystery. And 700 so years before Jesus was even thought about being born and coming into the world, this prophet Micah says these words. Micah chapter 5, starting with verse 2. Y'all ready for the word of the Lord today? I ain't just reading a book. This is the living word of God. All right, here we go. Chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah To the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. (laughs) Let's ask the Lord to speak to us today through his word. God, I pray now that as we read your scripture and as your Holy Spirit points us to Jesus Christ, that every heart would be stirred, that unsuspecting you would speak to us today, that you would reach through whatever screen we might be watching on, or you reach through the, the boredom or the tiredness or the fear or the sickness even in this room, God, that you would touch our hearts with your word, that you would speak. Um, God, we want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. As we celebrate these truths through song and body and blood of Jesus Christ, now we need to hear from God. Would you speak now, Lord? Would you do it because you can, because you have? And I believe you will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this Christmas mystery, just like last week, all these years later, now it's 2,700 years later after these words were spoken, and it's not a mystery to us anymore. We've heard of Bethlehem. We understand this small town. We even have a famous song that speaks of Jesus being born in Bethlehem. I was born in a small town. Oh, I'm sorry, that's the wrong wrong song. That joke was given to me by my good friend Dale Avery, by the way. Who's sitting over here going, don't blame me for that. <laughs> That's the wrong song. That's John Mellencamp. This is the song, the song that Jason led us in, O Little Town of Bethlehem, actually written in the 1868-ish area, and he, he wrote it for a, a, a Christmas mass in Trinity Church in Boston. And it's a heartwarming song, isn't it? Even as we sang it this morning, how still we see thee lie, above thy deep and dreamless sleep. Doesn't this sound so good? The silent stars go by, and we might get uh, confused here and go, oh, this prophecy is about Bethlehem, this little town that's so quaint and awesome and great during Christmas season, but this sermon is not about Bethlehem. It takes place in the town of Bethlehem. It is a little town, and we'll talk about that a lot uh, in just a moment, but this little town was part of the Christmas mystery because there's more to it than just this little town. And so let's just kind of discover this together. Something big, and here's kind of the big idea: something big comes out of something small. And we're going to look at that in this in this teaching here together today. So the first thing I want to share with you is we have a ruler whose origins are big. Where he's from is big, bigger than you can imagine. Yes, we have this little town, but from this little town, a ruler whose origins are big. Where'd I get that from? Look in uh, verse two, the end of verse two. One who will be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. This little town, bless you. This little town of Bethlehem uh, had some famous people associated with it in the Bible. They were from Bethlehem, and because they're from Bethlehem, we know a lot about Bethlehem. But back, if you if you go into the 1500 BC era, you would not know about Bethlehem. It was insignificant. That's the word that's used here. You, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you were too little. You're meaningless. You're too small. In fact, if you guys want to check me on this, go back to Joshua chapter 15, starting around verse uh, 22 and 20, and you'll, you'll find that when they allotted the place for Judah to have his inheritance in the promised land, when Joshua came and said, okay, here are your boundaries, in that, in that naming in the Bible, they name over 20 cities, 120 cities, I'm sorry, 120 cities are listed in the territory of Judah. But guess what? Not Bethlehem. It's in the territory. It's just insignificant. They're too little to be among the clans. The word clans can also mean a thousand. So we can assume that Bethlehem was under a thousand people, very small little village. You're too little to be among the clans of Judah. But things change for Bethlehem, as things sometimes do for small towns when a star football player or somebody wins something or some famous person comes from the town and we drive into town and go, so the town of, right? And, And Bethlehem became that. Because it wasn't long after um, Judah had settled into this territory that David becomes the king who was anointed by Samuel the prophet in Bethlehem. And all of a sudden, Bethlehem, home of King David. And everybody knows about Bethlehem. Bethlehem literally becomes the city of David. That's the name that's given to it. And 300 years after him, it, this, this prophecy of Micah, David Uh, is, um, I'm sorry, after David, then Micah says this prophecy about the city of David and this little town of Bethlehem. Now, here's what you need to know. By the time we get to the Herod story that I told you guys earlier, by the time we get to the time of Jesus Christ, every Jewish people, uh, person, if you said, what is the city of David? They say, Bethlehem. In fact, it's it's part of our Christmas story. You know it really well. In Luke chapter 2, verse 4, Remember, Joseph, the whole world's going to be taxed. Joseph is of the lineage, the family of David, and he goes to where? The city of David, which is Bethlehem. It's in Luke chapter 2. Uh, in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, when the angels are saying to the shepherds, hey, shepherds, today is born to you in the city of David. The shepherds didn't look at each other and go, hey, where, what city is that? Which one is that? No, it's, it's, it's Bethlehem. And they were near Bethlehem, and the people of uh, in Christ's time, all the Jewish people, they referred to Bethlehem as the city of David. And by the time of Jesus, they also knew that Bethlehem, because of this prophecy from Micah, was the place where the Messiah, the Christ, the ruler, was going to be born. That's, that's what happens with these theologians in Matthew 2. I want to show you in the Scripture the story I told you earlier. When Herod the king heard this, he heard what? There's a king of the Jews that's been born. When he heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling the chief priests and the scribes, the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written in the prophet, and they were quoting Micah 700 years later. It wasn't really that hard of a Bible question If you want to just look at some extra stuff later, go to John chapter 7, and you will find the people debating, is Jesus the Christ or not the Christ? Is Jesus the Christ or not the Christ? And they've been having an argument, and somebody says in the crowd, well, isn't he supposed to be born in Bethlehem? And of course, everybody agrees with that. I've always always wondered about this, because when, when you start proving that Jesus is the Christ, it would be a really easy research project to ask him where he was born. But nobody seems to have figured this out. He's he's not from Bethlehem. He's from Nazareth, they thought. Somebody could have asked, maybe, and found out. But still, with David and all the fame about Bethlehem and Micah's prophecy about Bethlehem, Bethlehem is not famous because it's just a small, quaint little town. It's famous because of who's born there. Verse 2, it says, a ruler in Israel is going to rise up, so come forth for me. And this ruler is going to be from of old, from ancient days. What in the world does that mean? Well, um, the word olam for ancient literally means vanishing point. As in the vanishing point of what you and I can think about. How many of you guys can remember what you did last Christmas? One of my favorite songs, by the way. Just kidding. How, How many can you remember 10 Christmases ago? Well, you guys are sharp this morning. (laughs) Anybody remember back to their childhood, your first memory of Christmas, your childhood Christmas? you have a Christmas memory there? We start thinking back in time. We start thinking 100 years ago and 1,000 years ago and 10,000 years ago. There comes a point where our mind, it's a vanishing point, our mind can't comprehend. That's where Jesus is from. That's where this ruler is from. This ruler comes from ancient days from ancient days, from times in the past that we can't even fathom, we can't remember. In other words, he is God. Jesus historically originated in Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem, but as God, his origins are farther back than we can imagine. He's from eternity past. Again, you can look this up later. I got all these scriptures listed in your notes, but the prophet Daniel describes the coming one who's going to be the Messiah as the, the son of man, and he calls him the ancient of days. This ancient of days who's going to come and rule. Guys, here's what I want to tell you today. i I got some good news for you. Jesus, the the ancient of days who was born into our time 2,000 years ago and now born into us through his Holy Spirit, he is bigger than all of our stuff. He's bigger than everything that you're going through. I think Bethlehem can be used as a picture or a description of our lives. Anybody in here feel like little town of Bethlehem today? insignificant maybe you're you feel small today because you're weak cuz you 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 can't get over this sickness you can't get past this disease you can't you can't get past your past maybe some of you feel insignificant you feel little town of bethlehem this morning because who cares not even listed among the towns of judah not even listed about among the people in my school or the people in my workplace or the people in my office The people in my street, nobody knows me. Even I walk in this place this morning or I watch online, I'm insignificant. I don't matter. Maybe you feel small because you're helpless. You can't fix stuff. One of the things that I'm struggling with the most these days is I'm a grandpa and a dad and I can't fix everything. I can't fix illness and I can't fix relationships and I can't fix all the stuff that's going on in my world. What makes you feel small today? What makes you feel insignificant today good news is that in this little town of bethlehem god does something big and if god can do something big in a small town of bethlehem he can do something big in small people he sends a ruler whose origins are bigger than us to be born in us christmas is about a great god coming through the small to the small to do big things That's what God is calling us to. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about a little town of Bethlehem, yes, but it's the great ancient God who comes to earth to save us from our sins. So from this little town, we have these big origins, but from this little town, uh, yeah, I meant to show you this. Ah, come on, man. I want to show you this picture. It's the shepherd fields. I'm not going to get to this picture yet. I think I missed a slide here. Sorry, guys. Anyway, uh, I want to move on to this. From this little town, we have a shepherd whose majesty is big. Just ignore that cool picture on there. We'll get to it in just a moment. (laughs) Act like I didn't swipe it, all right? From this little town, we have a shepherd whose majesty is big. He's he's bigger than anything else that we've seen when it comes to shepherding. If you look in verse 4, I want to read this again and show you. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord again just like last week when we were talking about Jeremiah the shepherds in Israel were bad shepherds now, all through the scripture when god appoints people to lead his people he refers to them as shepherds my people are the sheep my my shepherds they shepherd the flock and and, and as in the time of Jeremiah last week so in the time of Micah now 700 years before jesus comes into the world the shepherds are mostly bad In fact, Micah spends a lot of time confronting the priests and the judges. The priests and the judges in the time of Micah were taking bribes. They were fixing court trials. They were stealing. The priests were stealing from the sacrifices of the people. They were overcharging the poor. There was no justice. Even the prophets, Micah had to get in the grill of some of his fellow prophets and say, you are taking bribes to say what people want you to say. You're not speaking on behalf of God. They were bad shepherds, and uh, and and here we have now a shepherd who is going to stand and shepherd his flock. In verse four, Bethlehem is a location that is associated with shepherds. Obviously, for us throughout these years, if they had a minor league baseball team, I'm sure it would be called the Bethlehem Shepherds, because that's just you know that's it would go with them, right? Biblically, this little town was a place of shepherds. Remember Samuel when he went to anoint Jesus or uh, David as the king. Um, David was so insignificant, he was just doing shepherd work. In fact, if you want to go look at 1 Samuel 16, 11, Samuel looks at all these guys, all these sons of, of um, Jesse, and he says, don't you have any more kids? And Jesse almost looks at him like, yeah, but he's insignificant. Yeah, but he doesn't matter. He's just the shepherd. He actually says these words, behold, he's keeping the sheep. And, uh, and Samuel says, well, he's a part of God's plan, so go get him. And we get this idea that shepherds come from Bethlehem. Perhaps the most famous Bethlehem shepherds are the ones involved in the first Christmas story in Luke 2. In the same region of Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks at night. And these shepherds are so important to the Christmas story. The shepherds, think about this, are the first ones to hear the good news of Jesus' birth. They're the first ones to see the good news of Jesus' birth, and they're the first ones to tell others of the good news of Jesus' birth. You can't go to Bethlehem without thinking of shepherds. And now to this awesome picture. This is a picture of the shepherd fields in Bethlehem, not Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Bethlehem, Bethlehem. And uh, this is taken, obviously, in the time of Christ. There was not this development up here. But this is one of my favorite places to go. It's kind of located in some caves where they believe shepherds might have lived and kept their flocks. But you can see these fields below. Bethlehem is to the left about a mile and a half. Here somewhere in this region. By the way, we're, uh, Lord willing, going back to the Holy Land uh, next uh, November 8th. If you want information on that, contact us. But this is a place I love to stand and look out and go, here, the angels came to some shepherds, some insignificant shepherds in an insignificant town. And the reason they came there was because a strong and majestic shepherd was coming. Not one that's gonna lie, not one that's gonna cheat or take bribes or not tell the truth or bring justice, but one that would be strong. It says here that he he will stand. It's a power, it's a it's a, a sign of strength and firmness. He is going to stand, and he's going to shepherd his people in two great ways. Let's look at that, because you need to hear this good news today. There's a shepherd. There is a strong and majestic shepherd who's going to feed and nourish us. He's going to meet the deepest hungers of our souls. The word shepherd literally means to feed. That's why David says in Psalm 23, you lead me beside still waters. You make me lie down in green pastures. What's that about? It's about watering, making sure you have plenty to drink, and feeding, making sure you have green grass to eat. That's what shepherds do. Shepherds provide for the sheep. And and Micah says, this ruler, this one who's born in Bethlehem, the little town, this great ruler is going to come, and he is going to be the shepherd that feeds us. He's not only going to provide for us, he's going to protect us. Look what it says In verse five, they shall dwell secure. They'll dwell secure in safety. The Lord not only protects us, provides for us, but he protects us. The result of this shepherd king is there in the end of verse four, they'll dwell secure. They, who's they? You and I, everyone who comes to faith, this shepherd. This shepherd is gonna give security to us. Only in Jesus Christ. Guys, I know what you're looking for today, because you're human and I'm looking for the same thing. What is gonna fill me? I, I, I hunger for a lot of things. This Bethlehem is too little of a town, but there's gonna be a majestic shepherd who's born in the strength and the majesty of God, and he's gonna come in a big way and change our lives because we're hungry. We're hungry this morning for love. For somebody to love me. We're hungry today for friendship, I just need a companion. We're hungry today for belonging. What group do I belong in? We're hungry today for purpose. And you say, how do you know all this stuff? Because I know humans. I know sheep. We wanna belong. We want friendship. We want relationship. We're hungry for stuff. And only Jesus, the shepherd, can provide and feed that hunger. And we all have these fears too. We're afraid of things. Because life is frankly, Scary. But what are you afraid of today? I know some of you are afraid of a diagnosis. Some of you are afraid of your family members dying. Some of you are afraid of unending depression that you just can't seem to get over, especially this time of year. Some of you are watching your family fall apart, and you're afraid. Some of you have family coming to town, and you're afraid... Some of you are afraid that your dreams are never going to come true. Some of you are afraid of that addiction that keeps calling you, that sin that you can't get over. Some of you are afraid of this world and this culture. I want to tell you something today. Micah says there is a shepherd who's going to stand, and he's going to feed his people, and he's going to protect his people. That's what shepherds do. And there's a coming king, Micah predicts, that is is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is that shepherd who feeds me. If you're hungry today, go to Jesus. If you're lost today, go to Jesus. He's the shepherd you've been looking for. Because I have everything mixed up right now, I have no idea what this next slide's gonna be. But, yep, that's what I thought. Okay, there it is. One other thing I wanna point out from this scripture, from this little town, we have a king whose kingdom is big. His kingdom's big. I love this because he's born, obviously, into a time of kings and kingdoms. This one who's born, here's, here's the king word there, he was going to be the ruler in Israel. That's a king word. He's going to be in charge. And But look at the end of verse 4. I love this. He shall be great, where? To the ends of the earth. Oh, now we're talking about a kingdom. See, this is not just another kingdom. It's not like all the kingdoms of the world. There's a cycle of kings and kingdoms. If you you just pay attention to any part of history, here's how it works. A king conquers. A king rises in power. A king expands his kingdom. And then somebody else comes and takes it away. It always works that way. King conquers. He rises in power. He expands his territory, somebody else comes and conquers, and this cycle goes over and over and over again. And that's the the cycle that Jesus was born into, the kingdoms of this world. It's how it works with the kingdoms of the world. We didn't read this, but the rest of verse five says, when the Assyrian comes into our land and treads our palaces. We didn't read this, but verse one, siege is laid against us. What's happening in the time of Micah is that the northern Assyrian kingdom is coming into, Jeru- or coming into Samaria, the northern part of God's people. And they're going to overthrow them in 722 BC. It's coming near an end. There's a siege laid against them. But Micah is saying, I know it looks bad now, but there's going to come a king, there's going to come a ruler whose kingdom is not like this. Of course, the Assyrians did rise, and they did take Samaria, and of course, they were conquered later by the Babylonians. But fast forward to the kings and kingdoms where Jesus was born. It's interesting that both Matthew and Luke give us historical setting for their stories. Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 says, in the days of Herod the king. Herod the great is who he's talking about. And uh, and he was the patron of Caesar Augustus. That's why he had all of his power. He was given the territory of Judah. He was the governor of of Judea, I'm sorry, of Judea. But he called himself, this is a self-proclaimed title, king of the Jews, because he basically ruled what was the promised land, the king of the Jews. But he was in submission to a greater kingdom, the kingdom of Rome. When Jesus was born, Luke 2 tells it this way. In those days, a decree went out from who? Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be taxed. He also is a ruler. He's also a kingdom. He ruled most of the known world. Uh, What we know about him is some really interesting things. He ruled the world, and he held titles uh, like these. He was called the king of kings, historically. uh, Caesar also had this really, really, Sly way of doing things. His dad was Julius Caesar. You might not know this historically, but Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And after Julius Caesar died, the the Senate declared him uh, a god. So the clever Caesar Augustus, you know what he called himself? Son of a god. Are these titles sounding familiar to you? The king of the Jews? The king of kings? The son of God? This is the, this is, these are the kingdoms that God was sent his son to be born into. Of course, Jew, you know, Herod died in 4 B.C., which totally messes up your Christmas ideas because Jesus probably wasn't born at zero. Uh, but he died in 4 B.C., and his kingdom was split and it fell apart. Caesar Augustus died, and his empire was split, and it fell apart. T- now 2,000 years later, there's no Roman Empire. All we have is pasta and wine, And the month of August, which was named after Caesar Augustus. That's it. You want to see the powerful kingdoms of this world? You can study them. They they come and they go, they come and they go, they come and they go. But the promise of Micah is there's going to be a ruler whose kingdom will be great to the ends of the earth. Out of this small town of Bethlehem comes this great kingdom. It's going to be eternal kingdom. Jesus didn't come as an earthly king to conquer a worldly kingdom. That's too easy. His kingdom is not made up of armies advancing and killing people and submitting, making people submit. His kingdom is an internal kingdom. And this little town of Bethlehem brings us a king and a kingdom way bigger than we ever could imagine. That's the story. That's what the angel says to Mary when he appears to her and says, she's going to have a child. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That's the word. It's an unending kingdom. It's never gonna go away. And every one of those, when I read these, I go, oh, you're not the Son You know, Augustus, you're not the son of a God. It's Jesus, the son of the Most High. He's going to reign forever and ever. We're not waiting for him to die and for his kingdom to split up. This is a kingdom that's going to last. Out of this small town of Bethlehem comes this great king and this great kingdom that will never end. And so, verse 5, we have peace. All that I've said to you for the last 32 minutes just comes to this one thing, peace. Peace it's peace. When Jesus was born, there's another phrase associated with Augustus and the Roman Empire. This time in history that Jesus was born into was known as Pax Romana. It's Latin for the peace of Rome. Rome had peace. Of course, it wasn't peace. (laughs) You know how this worked, right? One-third of the population were slaves. Everybody else was forced into submission. If you didn't do what they said, they killed you. There were guards everywhere. There was military presence all the time. They, they taxed them incredibly. It, you might, because you might look at the world and say, well, they really weren't advancing and having wars everywhere. It's the Pax Romana. It's the peace of Rome. But that's not peace. Truth is, it's chaotic. If you lived in that time, you would not say, oh, What a peaceful time this is to be alive. Maybe you would feel like you do right now. Maybe the chaos and the storms and the craziness of life doesn't feel peaceful at all. But into this peace of Rome, a king with an eternal kingdom comes. The prophet predicted he shall be their peace. The angels sang, peace on earth, goodwill toward men all because of this little town where some big stuff happened. And the sermon today is really this simple. If you follow King Jesus, then you know where he came from. It's big, no matter how small you are. If you follow King Jesus, you know you can trust him because he's a shepherd. If you follow King Jesus, you may not like where you're at right now, but you'll love where you're going all because of this little town of Bethlehem where God did something big. And now we have peace. Amen.